Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I am going to start my sermon by giving you a brief overview of seeds and swords. Number one, we're talking about the pattern of Scripture. We spoke a few weeks ago about a verse in 2 Timothy 1 where Paul says, remember the pattern of Scripture, the pattern, the pattern, the pattern. And that's the big picture. We can get so bogged down in one little passage or verse or a few favorite verses that we miss the big picture of Scripture. And this sermon series is a big picture series so that we don't go off track. So I gave this illustration a few weeks ago of my father-in-law who plants fruit trees and he plants a seed, and imagine he plants a seed, and very soon after he's planted it, he notices there's something wrong with that seed. The, the, the tree is not growing straight, it's not looking healthy, it's not the right kind of fruit tree that he'd thought it would be. He has an option, he can either just dig the whole thing up and start again and destroy that seed, or he can try and mend the seed, and God chose to mend it, praise the Lord. He could have just said, trash the whole thing. But he said, I'm gonna work a plan of redemption. So there's the seed in the beginning, God's principles and plans which never change, which are perfect. But because man sinned, then swords had to come into place. So my father-in-law sometimes has to cut off branches that are diseased or leaves or fruit that are diseased. Sometimes he has to put in a spike to make the tree grow straight. And that's what the Old Testament was. We see the swords of God having to cut off diseased parts of human nature and human society until he got the, the rescue mission, the seed that was promised in Genesis 3, the child of Eve, who came in the form of Jesus, until Jesus came, God was protecting this little plant and cutting off disease and putting the law to keep it growing vaguely straight until the rescue mission came, which was Jesus. Jesus came as a sword, so he came against the devil and the devil's works. He spoke, and the Bible says when he speaks, it's like a sword coming out of his mouth. But he also became a seed because he died for us, he defeated the devil, and he made a way for us to get a brand new supernatural seed in our hearts. So 1 Peter 1, 23 says, you've been born again of incorruptible seed, not of that corruptible original seed, a brand new supernatural, eternal, heavenly seed has been put in you if you've believed in Jesus. And today, I wanna talk about the subject, you are a sword. You are a sword, because once you take that seed into your heart, once you've seen the big picture, and you've seen Jesus die for you, and you've seen what he did, and you believe in him, a seed gets born inside your heart and it grows, but then God wants you to become a sword that affects the world around you. And so we're gonna be looking at a passage in Romans 8, quite a few verses, about nine verses. But before I get there, I wanna read to you Ephesians 6, verses 17 and 19. It says, take the helmet of salvation, get saved, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always. And we sometimes put a gap there between verse 17 and verse 18, but it's one sentence, it says, 
take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always. In other words, the praying always is part of taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that word, Word of God, is rhema, which means the spoken Word of God. It's not just words that you read and, and, and meditate on. This sword of the Spirit is the spoken Word of God. You speak God's Word and you're praying always with all kinds of prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And this is how we are swords. God puts his seed, the sword of his word goes in, a seed gets planted in my heart, I grow in maturity, and then I start speaking prayers and his word, and the world around me changes. And now I want to read to you from Romans chapter 8, and it says, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Verse 18, Paul starts by saying, yes, there are sufferings. Don't pretend there aren't. There are sicknesses. There are problems between people. There are tragedies. There are earthquakes and famines and floods and all these kind of things. There are sufferings, he says, but they're of a temporary, they're of this present time, and they're nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Now that's a strange verse because many people think the glory will be revealed to us. When we get to heaven, oh, there's the glory. But he says, no, the glory is in us and it's gonna be revealed from within us. He says the present time sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that's already in us. Now, please, just Stay with me as we go through this because this is talking about seeds. There's a seed in you. It's a seed of glory. It's an incorruptible, eternal seed. And it helps us to deal with the present sufferings. You are a sword. And if you become a sword like God wants you to be, we can say, like Paul, I consider that these present sufferings, my body issues, my mental issues, my work problems, my whatever it is, family issues, my present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that's in me. Let's read on. He says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. This is saying that the creation, the birds, the animals, the plants, the nature, the weather systems, the whole of creation is looking eagerly for us, the sons of God, to reveal the glory that's inside of us. Why? Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. In other words, the creation was great and perfect. The original seed was good, but then it became perverted and corrupted. It was subjected to futility, not willingly. It didn't want to be, but because of him who subjected it, in hope because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So what he's saying is, God subjected the whole of creation, the whole original seed that was good. Because man sinned, God said, rather than destroy it, I'm gonna work a plan, and it was subjected to a time of futility but it was always in hope, looking forward to the promised salvation. 
and we, the children of God, already have that in us, creation is still subject to futility, decay, corruption, disease, but it's looking eagerly, saying, when are the children of God gonna start demonstrating the sword of the Spirit? When are they gonna start shining out and showing God's power? Because creation is subjected to futility. But God subjected it in hope. There was always the looking forward. Right from Genesis 3, God was promising a savior, promising salvation. All the time, there were all these signs that the savior is coming. The savior is coming. And then it says in verse 22, for we know that the whole of creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So this is the first groaning. There are three groanings in this passage. And the first groaning is that nature, creation, the physical world and everything around us is groaning. Now I hope I don't need to convince you of this. We just need to look at the world around us. We see problems, we see murders and terrorism, we see politics and fighting, we see families breaking down, we see disease and sickness and death. We see that creation is groaning. I hope to talk about this passage, this other passage at another time, but let me just throw this in. There's a, a, another passage in the Bible that goes very much along the lines of this Romans 8 passage. Romans 8 starts with creation is groaning, and in John 11, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it starts by saying, Lazarus, whom Jesus loved, was sick. And Jesus said to his disciples, he is going to die, but I am going to raise him up. And Jesus was upset that his friend Lazarus was going to die. The sisters, Mary and Martha, were upset. But Lazarus was decaying, and he died, and he was left in a grave for four days, and his body started to decay and smell. And that is a picture of creation is groaning. You have your own story of how creation is groaning. Maybe you're dealing with a physical infirmity, maybe a weakness in your body. Maybe it's a lack of some sort. Maybe there's some kind of struggle or pressure or problem that's coming against you. I wanna to say to you, that is a sign that creation is groaning. God did not plan it that way. God planned the seed to be good, but there's good news to come. There's good news to come. So point one, creation is groaning, but God knows about it. Point two, verse 23. So he said creation is groaning. Verse 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we've got this new seed inside of us. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now let me be clear, this is not talking about the groaning where it's, where it's complaining about the world. This is not groaning, because later on he's gonna show that the groaning is a groaning that is not in words. <laughs> Many times, in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, do not be groaners, mutterers, grumblers, and complainers. People who grumble and moan are not what this is talking about. This is talking about a, a holy dissatisfaction within the Christian that says this world, this family, this health situation, this financial situation is not how God intended it to be. It's not right. It's a holy indignation and dissatisfaction and says, oh, this world is not how it's supposed to be. Do you ever feel like that? I feel like that a lot. 
And I want to say it's okay. It's okay to feel like that. Jesus felt like that. In John 11, he felt the pain. In verses 32, 33, 34 onwards, it says he saw Mary weeping for her dead brother. He saw the other people weeping, and he started to groan. <clears throat> In John 11, the groaning word is a, is a strong Greek word. It's used of a horse snorting. It's like an anger. <clears throat> Many times Jesus said, how long do I have to be with this kind of frustration when he saw people who were treating others badly, where he saw the devil making people sick, where he saw all the problems. He had this dissatisfaction, this frustration, and it's okay as long as we move on to the third groaning. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. What are our weaknesses? We're born of that initial seed that was planted and that went wrong and started going crooked and unhealthy. That's our weaknesses. We are born of the human race. I want to tell you, if you have infirmities, maybe temptations to sin, and you think, why do I act this way? Why do I want to go this way? Why do I tend towards the wrong? You're in good company. Every single human being is like that. We are born of corruptible seed, and God puts a new incorruptible seed inside of us, and that has to start coming out. But he says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so God gets involved. He doesn't just sit in heaven and say, I'll leave that little plant to, to make its own way, and I'll, I might cut a bit off and put a sword. No, no he says, I'm actually going to get inside. I'm going to become part of that plant, and I'm going to help it to grow straight and fruitful. Wow. And it's, it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. I'm going to come to that word helps in a bit, but let me read on. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, the third groaning, groanings which cannot be uttered or which cannot be put in words that we understand. That's what it's saying. It says the Holy Spirit is in you, so you're sitting in a situation where, let's just say you're in a hospital room and a relative is very, very sick. Creation is groaning. We see creation decaying and going wrong. We are groaning. We're saying this is not how it should be. This is not how God intended it to be. And then the third groaning kicks in. The Holy Spirit starts interceding. What does interceding mean? It means praying a perfect prayer to God to put the situation right. Creation's groaning. I'm groaning. The Holy Spirit's groaning. And things start to change. And the sword of the Spirit the word of God being spoken with all prayer in the spirit start to cut into the situation and things start to change. Have you ever seen this? I've seen it so many times. My family story is a story of God's sword cutting in. 
I was used at times to say the prayers, but I knew it wasn't me praying. It was God's powerful spirit praying through me, and my family, one by one, they became believers, and I saw miracles happen. I was the first, and then many, many of my family members got saved and changed, and a restoration started happening and a healing in my family because the three groanings came together and something changed. Let's read on. It says, now he who searches the hearts, that's God who searches our heart, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. So he's searching your heart. God is looking from heaven. He's groaning. He says the the creation's groaning. You're groaning. And he's searching your heart. He's saying, will somebody agree with me in prayer to change this? Will somebody be my sword that can cut in and start changing things? It says, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit is making intercession for you, the saints, according to the will of God. You see, when it says we don't know what we ought to pray correctly, we don't know how we should pray as we ought, what it's actually saying is we don't know how to pray always according to the will of God. How many of you know if you pray a prayer that's not according to the will of God, you might as well be saying a nursery rhyme. It's not just your prayer that whatever comes into your head that counts. It's got to be your prayer matched up with his will. Amen? And we know part of his will from his word. We can understand his will. But his spirit inspires us to pray according to the will of God. And I want to share with you a secret. 1 John 5 says, This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will... He hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So, creation's groaning. I am frustrated, and I'm groaning. Then the Holy Spirit starts groaning, and I allow him to groan through me in prayer with prayers that words cannot properly utter. That's what that that word is saying. It's a Greek word, alalio. Lalio means to speak words in your language. A means not. So in other words, it's saying the Holy Spirit is speaking not in your language. He's groaning. So in John chapter 11, Jesus comes to the tomb. And he's he's been upset by the ladies crying. Mary says to him in verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Why did he groan? Was it because he thought Lazarus was never going to be alive again? No, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. There was a, the three groanings were coming together and Jesus was groaning in prayer in the Holy Spirit. Let's read on. They said to him, Lord... Come and see, Jesus wept. I don't think he was weeping for sadness. There was an element of compassion, but I believe it was the Holy Spirit praying through him. Have you had that kind of prayer experience? Are your prayers formal prayers going through a a list of things, or do you let the Holy Spirit move you to pray in the Spirit while you're speaking the Word of God to see things change? Let's read on. Verse 38, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see? We think if I see, I'll believe. Jesus said, you believe, then you'll see. Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. He just says thank you. He doesn't plead. He says thank you. And then he clarifies he didn't even need to say it out loud. He said it so that those around would give glory to God and not think it was all just a human thing. He said, I know you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead man came out of the tomb. How does a dead person come alive? How does a corrupted seed change and miracles happen? I'll tell you how. The groaning that's in the world with the groaning that's in me as a Christian, with with the groaning of the Holy Spirit in prayer, we thank God, we pray and say out a prayer of thanksgiving and we allow the groanings and the tongues because often praying in tongues is the same as praying in groanings. It's praying in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 verses 2, 4 and 14 say that when I pray, pray in tongues, I'm praying with the Holy Spirit. We've already read in Romans 8, it says, when I pray through the Spirit, it's a perfect prayer, it's in the will of God. And when I allow the three groanings, and it's not just a, oh, well, I'm just going to say a prayer. No, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to move me. When I do that, the sword of the Spirit comes out and things change. And I'm wanting to invite you You know, we've been talking about the seeds and the swords, and it's all very theoretical, and it's very interesting. I want to invite you today to partner with God in prayer because it is the greatest adventure that you will ever be a part of. You see, we sometimes think, I must get away from the trouble. If there's problems, I must move away. I must go to a place of comfort, safety, peace. God says, no, sometimes I want you in the trouble so that you can be my agent to pray and see it change. Sometimes just praising God in the middle of a bad situation. I remember being a teenager in a home with drunken parents and all sorts of rubbish going on, and God challenged me. He said, thank me right now for where you are, and I just started praising him, and I saw things change within a matter of days and weeks and months. I saw dramatic changes just because I thanked him because that was the sword of the Spirit that allowed his power to flood in. Prayer changes things. Prayer is you being part of the sword that changes the corrupted seed into the incorruptible seed. Now, it's not going to change forever completely until heaven comes, but until then, we can see great advances. Sometimes we pray and it doesn't change. But sometimes it does, and that's enough to make me want to keep on praying. Amen? Are you praying? Are you praying? I said I would come back to this little word, helps. In Romans 8, verse 26, it says, the Spirit himself helps us in our weakness. And it's a long Greek word. It's made up of three Greek words put together. Sun, which means together. Anti, which means against. Lambanamai means to take hold of. 
Where it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness, it says the Spirit takes hold of situations together with us against the devil and he intercedes with groans and prayers and, and tongues and, and, and weeping. When I was a brand new Christian, I'd only been a Christian about four months and some leaders in our little Christian group challenged me. They said, have you travailed in prayer? I said, I don't even know what the word travail means. I'm a little 17-year-old teenage boy. I don't know what travail means. They said, it means it's the same kind of groaning and pain that a woman has when she's in labor giving birth, and we are supposed to have that in prayer for situations. I said, what? They gave me a couple of books to read. They said, read these books about travailing in prayer. And I read the books, and it said you pray about a situation, and you feel God's pain, and you allow the Holy Spirit to groan through you. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray until you see a release. You feel a change. And when you do that together with other Christians, it's even more powerful. And I started it then. At times, I've been less diligent. At other times, when we went to Bible school, I started really praying again. But I want to say that that is the one thing, more than anything else in my Christian life, that has borne fruit in my life, is those times of prayer. Sometimes now, even now, 30 years later, something happens and God, His Spirit reminds me that's because of that prayer that happened 25, 30 years ago. This is the, the fruit that you're seeing. I want to excite you today. God's seeds and swords is not just a theory. It's something he wants you to be part of. Take up the sword, the spoken word of the Spirit, and pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers on all occasions. And watch what happens. You say, how do I even start? How do I even start? You start by going to God in prayer. You say, God, I love you. I praise you. And then you stop being honest like David was in the Psalms. Lord, I'm having this problem. These people are against me. I'm worried about this. I'm struggling. And as you're honest and you're praising him, his spirit starts to merge with your groaning and you find yourself being led. And sometimes you're weeping. Sometimes you're angry prayers. Sometimes it's words in other languages that you don't understand. Sometimes it's in your own language. But what you're doing is you're combining, taking hold of a situation together with the Spirit against the devil, and you're wrestling in prayer. And things will change. Can I challenge you to pray? Pray. Pray a groaning prayer. Pray a travailing prayer this week. Set aside half an hour and say, God, I'm going to really wrestle over something. I'm going to take hold of something together with you against the devil. And watch what he does. It'll change your life. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.